Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So, Paul, today we're going to take off the cool kids. Uh, Rick, the cool kids don't listen to us. I don't, I don't blame them. <laughs> but we're going to talk about a grape that the cool kids despise, our friend Chardonnay. Ah, uh, yes. You mean the most popular white wine, well, actually the most popular wine in America, yep. and I believe it is now the most widely planted grape in the world. It might well be, and it's certainly uh, the uh, the most popular white in the yeah, world. So absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. uh, well, that's exactly right, and, and those are some of the reasons the cool kids despise it. You know, they, oh, they don't yeah. like popular. If it's popular, it can't be good. It can't be good. If lots of people like it, then it's really well, bad. Well, in, in that case, Rick, we must be fantastic. We are awesome. The cool kids would love us <laughs> if they would only listen. <laughs> also today, listeners ask about labels, different kinds of oak barrels, and why supermarket wines keep winning blind tastings there you go. without the cool kids, probably. Plus, our horrible wine writing is vociferous and self-indulgent. That sounds just like us. It does. <laughs> I, I agree. In fact, I have that on my Facebook profile. All right. Uh, and, of course, we will be making fun of wine snobs. But a couple of quick reminders. We are still on Capital Public Radio, still on their wine, their podcast lineup. Yep. Uh, and we are still on their Capital Public Radio recommends. They are kind and generous, those folks. <laughs> um, and if you were at Four Fires Festival in Anmore County for our live taping, that was uh, Saturday, May 6th, this, that show that we taped up there will air on May 25th, or right. starting May 25th. Right. It'll be on our lineup you know, for long right. after that. That's but right. that's as soon as we, Matt we, takes out all the places where we said stupid stuff. Then there's no show. So, all right. Well, so it's not airing after all, as it turns out. <laughs> well. All right. And by the way, thank you, everyone, for coming out. We had a great time. All right. Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Uh, as many, many people love Chardonnay, uh, the Wine Institute says it's by far the most popular wine in America. And the most recent stat says that California crushed over 700,000 tons of shard grapes, which that translates in wine terms to like 42 million cases of wine. Which is 10% of all the wine made in America is Chardonnay. Chardonnay. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. So, uh, you know, lots of people like it. It does well. So, of course, the wine snobs don't like it simply well, because it's popular. Yeah, but it's popular, and it's popular because it makes exactly the kind of wine that a lot of Americans like. Right. has and, a nice round mouth feel, huh? fun flavors. It's a lot of producers put a little residual sugar in it to make it just a little sweet and friendly, and people gobble it up. Well, we are pro-Chardonnay here, so let's talk just a little bit about, about what it is, where it came from, uh, and we're going to take a little quick trip on our way back machine to Burgundy, France. Uh, I haven't. I didn't buy a ticket, Rick. Well, you know what? Tell them you're with me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll work at TSA. <laughs> yes. <right? laughs> okay. Good. So uh, basically, Chardonnay comes from the Burgundy section of France, which is a northernerish, cooler part of France. almost dead center of France. Mm -hmm. But yeah, given that France is at the northern part of the wine-growing regions of the world, yeah, coolish area. Uh, so it's a, a grape that takes a long time to ripen up there, and it produces some of the most famous white wines in the world. You may have heard things like Merceau and Montrachet. Those are Chardonnays, white Burgundy. Right, and, and right, white Burgundy. That's the that's the fra the the name for it, really. Actually, in in France, is white yep. Burgundy. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. yep. And then, of course, in this country, it really took off based on. It's really kind of an amazing story. You, you've actually written about this. I have indeed, Rick. Um, but it all started with the Wente family, I think. Yeah, you know, in, and really up until the 1960s, there's only a couple hundred acres in all of California, right. you know. Um, right. And the Wente family 
um, <clears throat> which is actually one of the older wine families in California. Yes. Uh, and they're in the Livermore Valley. Um, yes. And in ni- they've been founded in the 1800s, but in 1912. It's, it's actually a cute story that they moved to, to the Livermore yes. Valley because. They went to wine country. They wanted. From they, Napa. They moved from Napa to Livermore because they wanted to move into better wine country. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a different world back then. Yep. Um, and and uh, the second in, second in the line, uh, Ernest Wente, uh went to UC Davis. Uh-huh. Was it part of the first graduating class, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah and yeah. Uh, and he went there as a wine student, for, you know, to work on help come back and work on the the Wente family winery. And um, and he talked to one of his professors there, and who recommended a clone from France. Um, and then Ernest did what he always does, which or always did. Um, but he also talked to his neighbors, and he he blended a few clones, and then he worked on it, and he worked on it, and he worked on it. Yeah, and every every few years he would go through the vineyard and pick out the very best vines and select those vines to replant the next vineyard. Right, and it was sort of the uh, unnatural selection is what that was. <laughs> um, and but but the wine industry back then, and there still is actually a lot of this going on even now. But he basically just gave it away to friends. So he would people would Not come friends. over. He gave it away to anybody who asked. People would come up and say, I love the Chardonnay you're making. Can I borrow some of your – because it, for, for those who don't know this, you don't actually plant grape seeds to grow grapevines. You plant cuttings. And so he would go through, of course, every winter and prune the vineyards, cutting off the extra canes and things. And the people would come by and collect the pruning off of – his Wenty Ranch, and they'd go stick it in the ground, and sure enough, what you'd come up with is more Wenty Chardonnay. Yeah, and in yeah. fact, it's it's actually called the Wenty clone of Chardonnay. The Wenty clone, right? And yeah. UC Davis got involved in the '60s. Uh, UC Davis, the Ag Extension, to to basically help propagate this and and to ad- make some more adaptions. But fundamentally, it was still a Wenty clone. And, and yep. right now, basically, eighty percent of the of Cabernet in California, or Cal- Cabernet Chardonnay in California, comes from some connection to the Wenty clone. That's right. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. boy, if if he'd gotten them, if he'd gotten a nickel for every, yeah. for every vine planted with the Winty clone, yeah. he could retire. Of course, he'd be dead. He's already dead. So, but yeah, the winery's doing fine though. Yes. So and and they make for a good chardonnay. And they do make a good chardonnay. So, but it, but still, so the so we leave off in the '60s, and and when uh, there were only a couple hundred acres in California, right? Um, and then. And then comes the rise of Chardonnay. Well, you have you have a couple of things happening. The the Wenties won a couple of big awards for their Chardonnay. The Chateau Montalena Chardonnay won the Great Paris Tasting of uh, 1976. All of a sudden, everybody wanted to plant Chardonnay because it was if if Cabernet is the king of red wines, Chardonnay is the king of white wines, and everybody wanted to plant it, and it exploded. Well, and and the other t- thing too was in the seventies ish um, when America was starting to drink a little more wine, um, they were still drinking mostly more whites than reds, and this the newcomers to wine were, and and Chardonnay was a very good wine for folks to be starting to drink. Mm-hmm. It could be a, t- a touch sweet, it could be a touch rich, it could be a touch buttery, it could be more than a touch, but it was a very approachable wine, um, and so there was. The thing about Chardonnay is um, there's a it's called a winemaker's grape, which means that the winemakers can do a lot with it. So it comes in many styles. So the very right. quote unquote French loving Chardonnay uh, lovers could still get that kind of wine. You can still yep. make it that way yep. in, in California as well. Yep. Um, and folks who like it a little richer, a little sweeter, a little buttery or whatever could also get it that way. Yep. Lots of different styles. Right. But yep. the critics turned on it. The, well, the problem is, Rick, it became popular. Darn it. 
And the minute something becomes popular, all of those really geeky types in the world of wine are quick to point out what's wrong with it. Right. Right. Good thing they've never noticed how popular our podcast has become. Well, they've they turned on us anyway. <laughs> well, actually, they turned us off. I they think turned is what us it was. off. Yeah. They didn't have to turn they us on. Was, they didn't have to they, turn they, on. A couple us. of minutes ago, these guys. Well, there's no threat. Anybody's ever going to listen to them. <laughs> They're never going to be yeah. popular. So, but it, it's uh, it is unfortunate because that was we did a show. It might have been last week uh, about uh, educating your your the, right. at the restaurants. And right. one so of the, the customer comes in and says, "I'd really like a nice bottle of Chardonnay." No, and you the waiter, no, uh, you I'm wouldn't. Sorry, nope, nope. Why are you wasting your time drinking that crud when you could be drinking something good? <laughs> right. And the customer sits there and thinks, "I just want a glass of wine. Would you get out of my face and bring me my dinner?" And this is this this happens in look. It happens across the across so many things in the, on the planet from music to um, you know, food a little, a little less so but coffee and oh, movies and books too. and yeah. styles yeah, yeah, yeah. you know whereas whereas you to stay on the cutting edge you have to keep changing you have to be just far enough ahead of the crowd right. so you can't have make drink eat sing whatever the last kid did right. you have to do something quite new and yep. and so unfortunately that's what in wine it's both worse in terms of its sort of, I don't know, uh, self-centeredness, if that's the word. Well, you know, uh, you know I, I, yeah, I, I, I love the idea. I mean, here, when, when, I, when I am in Europe, I love walking into a wine shop and buying six bottles of wine I never heard from. You know, I'm just pick them off the shelves here. What the heck is this? I've never tried. I like doing that. But I also understand that when people are going out to dinner, and they're really, for them, spending a fair, sizable amount of money. And they want to make sure they have a good time. I completely understand when they want to order something they know they're going to like. Right. Instead of saying, well, I don't know. Let's take a walk on the wild side and taste something that we've never tasted before. I can understand why people don't want to do that. Yeah. And, you know, and for for many people, I mean, for many people, wine is an adventure and it's fun and it's and it's a mystery and, and all that is great. And all those parts of it are great about it. But for many other people, it is it's not it's not religion. You know, I mean, it's just another food right. product that they like. Right. And so it's like getting the same cereal. They often get the same wine. There's nothing wrong with that right. either. Right. And and if you want to keep drinking the same thing that yep. you've been drinking, there is nothing wrong with that. Yeah. And if I go to a restaurant and the waiter or the sommelier starts to lecture me on something, you nope. can bet it's going to be an entertaining evening. And you can bet my wife will probably Uber home before I'm ready to leave the yeah. restaurant or vice versa. Uh, actually, you know, and, and thinking about restaurants, you know, the, in the food world, that that um, that notion of wanting the same thing is is also something of a, of a war for restaurateurs, but restaurateurs get it. So one of the things you, you need to do as a restaurant, especially if you're a slightly higher-end restaurant, is you mm-hmm. need to keep rotating your menu. Sure. But you have a couple of dishes. Mainstays. And, and I know one, one, there are a handful of restaurants that are my restaurant friends from my other life, my old life covering right. restaurants, is they have – there's a pasta in town from one of the really nice restaurants in town that is – they put on the menu when they started it. And, and the chefs laugh about it. We'd love to take this off, but, but they can't. we can't. Because it would right. be a terrible thing. And that's exactly 
exactly what it'd be. Yeah. It'd be like taking the Chardonnay off the menu. When people start driving across town or across the state to have that dish, you don't take it off. And it's the same thing. There are If you have a wine that's selling great, that people love it, why would you take it off the list? Right. Well, people drive across the state to get away from us. Luckily, um, we're, yes, they can still hear us on, yes. their, on their podcast. Yes. And, and, and then they send us questions just to see if we're still around. So we will answer a few <laughs> of those. Um, you are listening to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul, and we are taking questions from listeners now. And if you'd like to ask us a question, just go to rickandpaulwine.com. All one word. That's our website. You can click through on Capital Public Radio's podcast lineup, and uh, and and we'll t- we'll tell you why we love Chardonnay. All right, our first question uh, down is a little bit down this same sort of path, and it's something we hear about a lot. It's from Terry with an I in Marysville. I, and just so you know, Rick, I was born in Marysville. Were you really? I was. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, there's a plaque. It's it's it, don't come here is what it says. Watch out for this spot, for for forever doomed Marysville Corner. All right, it, here's here's Terry's question. Some friends had a party that was uh, also a blind tasting of, of a bunch of different wines, which we've right. talked about on the show yep. before and love. Well, it. Fun yeah. thing to do. Yep, yep, yep. So she says, uh, "We voted for our favorites. I know you guys said don't do that, but our friends don't listen to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you need new friends, yeah, that's Terry. Right. So for most of us, our favorites were the relatively cheap wines that we all got in, in supermarkets. Right? Is that unusual? I think nope. our friends wanted us to like their expensive wines they got from wineries. Right. So uh, that is not unusual." Not I unusual. cannot. I would have closed my eyes and bet that you know. I, in fact, every year I do a I do a tasting in my class at Napa Valley College, and these are wine professionals. And these are wine professionals, and I tell them nothing about the wines. I give them six wines, and every single for twenty two straight years, the least expensive wine has won that tasting yeah. every single time. So there, there's you know there are lots of reasons for that. I mean, and then first off, most people, the vast majority of people, it's like eighty percent plus. Buy their wine in the supermarket. Is that a, is that a survey? It is that another one of your studies? Is, no, I got that, that one coming next week. You're, you just made that number. No, up. I know that number. <laughs> it's an old one, um, but it is really more like eighty percent plus buy and some version of a supermarket, and so there. So that is partially that's their palate is attuned to those wines. They like them. They right. buy them. They taste them. Right. But the flip side is the reasons why people are buying those wines is because they taste good. Right. And and the reason they sell through. That's right. Right. And and. And the wines are made not perhaps to express the unique essence of a specific vineyard. Or the unicorn they're, that passed by. They're made to taste good. Yeah. So they taste good. Yep. And and that is, look, this is, you know, we, we, you know, we're just talking about that with the, sort of the ex- exploring part of the wine world and the food world together. And, right. and both of those are really valid reasons, finding wines that, that are expressed places and people and, and unique times. And All that's fun. Wonderful. All that's and fun. so is a wine that just tastes good. Just tastes good. Absolutely wonderful. Yep. And yep. so, Terry, you are not only spot on, but I would tell you that I, I'm willing to bet you could do that tasting a hundred yeah. times and the same results would happen. And your friends who bought those expensive wines at their wineries are going to be disappointed. Now, they won't have a great story to tell about those wines they bought at the supermarket. Right. Those The stories come with visiting the guy and all the rest. But, in fact, in a blind tasting, we see this at the wine competitions. Large production wines frequently do very well there. Absolutely. And and one of the things that those your friends have is they have the stories and the memories of buying those wines and being in those wineries. And that makes them particularly valuable to them. And that's a great thing, too. Right. right. Our next one comes from Jill from our Fresno Enclave. Excellent. They're still around. 
And is there really that much difference in the kind of oak barrels? We went wine tasting and heard about – this is my friend Jill, and she pays attention. She actually is a former restaurateur, so I know that she Oh, uh, yeah. Attention. Okay. So she knows. We went wine tasting and heard about French, American, Hungarian, and some other oaks. I think yeah. one was Slovenian. There are actually Slovakian, Slovonian, and Slovenian oak. <laughs> there you go. The s- <laughs> slow oak. The slow oak movement. Right. Um, there was everything but South Pole oak. Yep. For the record, Jill says, I would definitely buy wine from South Pole oak. <laughs> so is there that much of a difference? Sort of. But it's a little bit, you know, the easiest way I can explain this is um, think of oak as a seasoning that you would put into a soup. Think of it There's as— There's no room if you got a big old oak thing. In no, there. no, 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 Rick. You're being way too literal here. Oh, okay. Think of it as salt or pepper. How ah. many different kinds of salt can you buy? You can buy the sea salt. You can buy the special sea salt from the Phoenician salt beds off the coast of Sicily. Blah. Oh, I love that salt. Still kind of tastes like salt. So oak has some basic flavors, a kind of vanilla cinnamon to with greener wood, a little bit of a dill character to it. So those flavors are there. Now, every single tree is slightly different. It's a little bit like apples or anything else. Every every one of these will have a slightly different. And then there's the different techniques in making the barrels. Some are made just with the plain oak. Some are then toasted, which gives a slightly smokier flavor to the wine. Some are heavy toasted. Some are medium light. Some the head is toasted, but the barrel is not, blah, 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 blah. All of this to describe something that technically should really only have, what, say, a 10% influence, because what you're really making wine out of is grapes. Right. The oaks comes as, as just a delicate little nuance in it. So... Is there a difference? Yeah. Is there a difference in the different kinds of wines you use to when you're cooking a sauce? Yeah. Will your relatives notice that when you made your famous spaghetti sauce, you used Merlot instead of Cabernet this year? Yeah, I doubt it. So it all depends. Yeah. And, and actually what matters more isn't what oak they use, but how much. How much. How much time yeah. it spends in the oak. Yeah. I mean, there are subtle differences. And it, and it has to do with everything from the temperatures that the trees grew in to How the long species. the wood has been cured. Right. There's, and, there's many, many things. And so there's, there's all those sorts of things. One of the differences, however, is in price, whereas that French oak costs roughly twice what an American oak does. Well, and, and even in France, when you really want to get geeky about this, individual forests in France— mm-hmm theoretically have slightly different flavors. So you have Allier, you have Troncé, you have Limousin. But all of this is angels on the head of a pin for most consumers. It's uh, It's lovely stuff for the wine geeks and, um, and, and not inconsequential at really tiny levels, but for the vast majority of us, it really is, is less than I'd that rather a have a wine that tastes good than a wine that was made from Fran- with French or Hungarian oak. I'm going for the South Pole oak myself. You're going the South Pole oak? I'm, I'm yeah. rooting for that one. Yeah. All right. But it does get back to one of the points we make fairly frequently on this show, which is where did winemakers suddenly get the idea that they need to, have to tell us how to make a piano so we can listen to some, some music? They don't need to tell us that stuff. Is the wine good? Tell us. Don't tell me how you made the wine. Tell me why you make your if wine. If the piano is made out of South Pole oak, I am all over that. <laughs> Okay, that is it for questions for now. We will have more in just a bit. You're listening to Ball Talk with Rick and Paul. Stand back, because next up, some really horrible wine writing.
Why do I Rick, always get off the chair? I, why get do down. I always want to say oi 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 after we get to down? That. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Sit down. Let's get it. This. Is really horrible wine writing time, and we have some really hor- really horrible writing uh, coming up here. Uh, so I got somebody who once said that this is a vociferous wine. It scares me. It scares me. It makes it sound, first of all, as if it has a voice, which is not what really vociferous means. Vociferous really means loud. Um, but even so, if uh, what is a loud wine? Does it is it one that you would drink with a brightly colored sports coat? No, it's a wine that gets drunk at parties and just won't shut up. Just won't shut up. Yep. Yeah. A, l- a little bit like me. <laughs> <laughs> you get drunk at parties and you won't shut well, up. Well, even when I'm sober, I won't shut up. <laughs> it's Vociferous wine. Dear God, come on, folks. You can do better than that. Yeah, it's pretty bad. What have you got? So I've got I've got this just horrible example of self-indulgence that we see so much in wine writing. Oh, I thought you were going to say we so, see so much on this show. Well, there's that, too. In fact, <laughs> isn't this show just one giant exercise in self-indulgence? <laughs> but this is that kind of Yelp review gone wild. And it is— There's a scary um, There's—, there's and what's what's happened is that lots of wine bloggers and become wine writers. In this case, this was from a wine blog of somebody who surprises surprisingly to me gets I see this person's byline on things. Yeah, and it's always like this. So this okay. is this was. Um, let me just read. It. I always the first word is I. I I noticed that always right a bad that. place to start as a wine writer as any kind of a writer really. I always wondered about Portuguese red wines. I tried one or two in the past that, while very affordable, I found to be a bit too light in body and flavor. Okay. So what we have established so far is this person has yes. only tried a couple of Portuguese wines in his life, and now he's about to recommend one. Ian is very fond about talking about th- th- that all could I. not have been in there. We could just start. Um, so, yeah, good so, writing would have right, said, start with the take next that out. sentence. All that's gone. Right. Ne- well, not really, because the next sentence is almost as bad. Then I tried wine name renew <laughs> so we don't get sued. Right. Retailing at about $45. This is a wonderful red blend. In fact, I say this is one of my top two red blends I've had to date. No, he's only had two Portuguese wines that we know of so far. So, oh, I don't know if this is yeah, right. This is, I don't know if this person saying two red top Portuguese red blends or just two top red even blends. Even so. Either way. Even so. It doesn't sound like he's got so, that much experience. Uh, my only regret was opening it for a quiet night at home and not waiting to have shared it with friends. Then when I poured my second glass, I had no regrets. I mean, I love my friends, but I can always open another bottle of this wine with them another time. The nose has notes of vanilla, black pepper, and spice. The taste is extremely well-balanced, dry blend of black fruit, licorice, and good minerality. <laughs> so, first off, that, that description was every red blend ever. Right. So why is this a good wine? But that, that entire I, 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 I stuff. And I want to open it for my friends, irrelevant. and then I just decided I'd drink the whole bottle myself. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Could have saved all of that by saying... It's a good wine. Good wine. Yeah. Tastes yummy. Yeah. And if, yeah. Tastes it, yummy. Yeah, I'll make it, you could throw in, this was for, you know, a, a top Portuguese red blend. And that's, that's what that was. But this, that's this thing where too many wine writers, too many writers who write about things like wine and food that for blogs think that the story is about them. Right. And the more you take them out of the story, the more interesting the story is. The description of that wine has little to do with this person. If there was something in whether— Well, the other, the other part of it is the story he tells tells me he doesn't know anything about Portuguese wine. So yeah. if I were him, I'd shut up about well, that. Yeah. Well, it, but that's of course, because— Of course, he may have been listening to our show, Rick. Entirely possible. 
You know, and but this is this is about the not shutting up part, yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and knowing nothing. Yeah, well, that's that's, that's where we live, Paul. <laughs> that's where we live. Yeah, you know, I uh, I used to teach a culinary journalism class, and what, did you just say I? <clears throat> uh, there was a guy I knew. <laughs> Who's, who's short, bald, and adorable, who used to teach a culinary journalism class, and um, and would I the 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 deal was a class like you know fourteen, fifteen people is small as culinary school, right? And I'd say uh, I'm buying you guys all dinner next week if you guys can name a restaurant, any restaurant, and the first and 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 we'll, we'll Google the Yelp reviews. And if the first sentence of all of them, well, nine out of ten of the first sentences, the Yelp reviews, doesn't start with some version of me, my, I, I. Um, I'm buying dinner. And I would never had to buy him dinner because every question was my girlfriend and I what never had to. What other kind of offers my do you boyfriend make and I were you, fighting. you don't have to buy dinner? Oh, that's right? the only time I make an offer. <laughs> I don't, you're kidding. I'm not, I'm not paying for those punks. <laughs> In any case, the point being, the point right being, about the why, not about yourself. Speaking of which. Uh, of which we should take some questions. And we should take some questions because that's, right. that's not about us. It's about them. No, we'll make it about us. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> this is from Angela in Sacramento. Why do Americans talk about wine in cases? I just uh-huh. got back from France and Spain and they yeah. talked about how much wine they made by saying the number of bottles. That seems so much better. Well, it seems 12 times better to me. <laughs> it's... Yeah, yeah. It seems like more. Yeah, I got that. Well, I, I, knew, um, I knew where you were yeah. going with that. Yeah, but, well, it's basically, math. basically, yeah, it's tradition. And I can't really give you an explanation, but she is absolutely right that when you go talk to producers in Europe, they will always tell you the number of bottles they make. Now, some of it may be because some of it's shipped in six bottle cases and some of it's shipped in 12 bottle cases. But here in the U.S., it's pretty standard 12 bottles to a case, and you talk about cases. So I will tell you the story. That I heard that had this explained to me, and I, 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 the, I started. <laughs> Matt, could you could you just turn off Paul's mic? Because <laughs> this is all so about th- him, Matt. This is uh, this is a story, and I'm not swearing to it, but it's not, okay. it's not a bad explanation. Good. Which is that in Europe, they're producers. We are descendants, sort of the of the Anglo, the the British system, right? Where they were shippers. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so for that them, they be. talked about it in terms of volume, in terms yeah. of, of shipping. Yeah. And so we adopted that because yeah. we have we, we are more British than we are French or Italian uh, or Spanish. Be. So could that be. was that was the one explanation I heard for that. That's a, that yeah, sounds so. great. I love it. I'm going with it. OK, we are. That's ours. All right. Um, Angela. Anyway, but it's a good it really is a good question. All right. This comes from uh, our man, Matt Pacini, in our control room, who is still surprisingly awake. <laughs> <laughs> it's a it's a very good question, actually. It's a really simple one, which is, are, is there any correlation between the label and the quality of the wines? No. Nope. And, and here's the cool part is when there starts to be a correlation between any kind of label and a quality or a price point or a style of wine, a lot of producers who make wines similar to that and less expensive immediately start to capture and copy a little bit of that label style so that they can say that they're kind of doing the same thing and get the same price point. So the more you come up with that classic label that everybody's willing to pay more for, the more likely you are to see that on a $7 bottle of wine in a supermarket. Right. But it goes both ways on that, too, because the the, the more fun label 
and the more, you know the more casual, the more modern label. Yeah. As those start to make their way onto bottles of wine that are very good, others feel comfortable doing that. Right. So now you it really you get it goes in both directions. It does. And so it's really across the board. So. Uh, uh, having said that, though, you and I have said this before, and I kind of like this. If when in doubt, if you like the label, you know nothing else about the wine and you want to give it a shot, what the heck? At least know you're going to like how the bottle looks. <laughs> kind of there. our approach to life. Right? Yeah, yeah. What the heck? Yeah, that's kind of it. All right. Well, speaking of what the heck, you've wasted another 20, 25 minutes with us. So <laughs> we're letting you off the hook out there. That's it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is the young and lovely Matt Pacini, who just asked us that question. Thank you, Matt. And thank you to Capital Public Radio for the studio use and for including us in their podcast line. And if you'd like to ask us a question, go to rickandpaulwine.com, all one word, Rick and Paul Wine. And a reminder that uh, the episode, the, the episode, the show that we uh, recorded at, at Amador Four Fires, uh, we'll be airing starting May Hit the airways May 25th. Yes, and we'll be there forever. And if you learned yep. anything today, we hope it's that if you like Chardonnay, that makes you part of the most popular crowd, which we think is cool. But not that liking anything what's popular matters one way or the other. Just saying popular yeah. is popular. Yeah, let's thank goodness. For, otherwise, we'd be in trouble. All right. Uh, I am Rick Cushman. And I am Paul <laughs> Wagner. <laughs> Remember, the best wines <laughs> you drink are with friends. <laughs> or with us. Especially with I and Paul. <laughs>